0: The Blitz 1170 stream is brought to you by Duck Creek Casino, your hometown casino. All right, it's 2.04 here on the Blitz 1170. Hope that everyone has had a good day so far. Um, Right before the trade deadline came to an end, there was a little bit of a flurry, Matt, including the Falcons trading wide receiver Calvin Ridley to the Jaguars, according to sources. Uh, This is Ian Rappaport, by the way. In exchange for what is described as complex draft compensation that can be worth a maximum of a 23 fifth rounder and a 24 second rounder. Ridley is suspended through at least the 2022 season, you know, for gambling on his own team. There are conditions attached to this. So if he gets reinstated by a certain date, it's worth a 2023 fifth rounder. Otherwise, it's a sixth. If he makes the team in 24, if he makes the team, it's at least a fourth. If it's playtime milestones, it's a third. If Jacksonville gets a long-term deal done, it's a second rounder. So it could jump all the way up to a second. So as you could tell, it was indeed complicated on this deal for Calvin Ridley to the Jaguars. That's a steal. That's off of the Bradley Chubb deal from Denver to Miami. Miami was also not done. Miami reached an agreement with the 49ers for running back Jeff Wilson Jr. to add to their backfield. So there goes your Kareem Hunt, right out the window on that. So yes, the uh, Dolphins and the Niners playing nice with each other one more time. Is he
1: just is he just calling out like just calling everyone up and he's like, hey, those two running backs that I had last year, yeah, I want them on this team. Maybe, maybe I mean, they fit they fit his offense well. But so. when you find
0: a team. That you have had multiple deals with and you know that they are a willing partner and that you feel comfortable in whatever compensation is going to be you can go back to the well which the Dolphins have done several times now with the 49ers all right um it is 206 here on the Blitz 1170 again I hope that you've had a good day and let's check in now with a little Baylor football, shall we? As Kevin Lonquist from Sikkim 365 joins us here on the Blitz 1170 as the Oklahoma Sooners and Baylor Bears get underway coming up this Saturday. Kevin, what's going on, man? How are you doing today?
1: I'm, I'm not doing too bad, but I just want to correct you. It's Sycam Sports 365 is my competitor down the street. But no uh, big deal. <laughs> I
0: apologize, Matt. That's okay,
1: but but. We're, we'll get Matt. We'll get Matt in trouble for all that. So it's we'll just throw him under the bus. For
0: that, right? Yeah, we will throw Matt under the bus for that, as is written right here so. in front of me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not a big guy. Some good guys over there at that site, though, that I've known for a long time. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, it should be an interesting game. And I guess the only thing that I need to find out is which Baylor team am I going to watch on Saturday at Memorial Stadium? Is it going to be the one that's been? Can't put two uh, a foot complete game yeah. together, or is it going to be the one that shows up Saturday night in Lubbock?
0: Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is it felt like for the very first time, because I, I won't like Kevin, I had this team pegged uh, when we filled out preseason. I thought that they – I had them picked as, as going back to the championship game. I had them picked as my number one team, and then everything had happened – but I, I, it's almost like I never lost belief in that at some point they were actually going to be that team that I thought that they could be. And maybe <laughs> that performance against Tech is the one that kind of at least convinced me that I wasn't absolutely losing my mind over this. But for the first time in a while, they look like contenders.
1: Yeah, it, what we saw last Saturday was the team that played like it did in 2021. Defensive line imposing its will. Offensive line opening up huge holes for running backs, even though the running back core is different from last year to this year. Uh, What's different is the fact that the passing game is a little bit more sophisticated with Blake Shapin. and he's developed a really good rapport with a guy that's a really great story in Gavin Holmes. who has gone through so many knee issues in his career at Baylor, even, even going back to his days in high school, and the fact that they've kind of developed that connection there And he's really been kind of the guy that's led a really young group to get together. And then I think the other thing is is that and, and it really goes together from the fact that how the secondary had been taking its fair share of criticism. But my point about this team is that it was, okay. a young secondary will get picked on, but it can be masked if you get a decent pass rush. So voila, they get a really good pass rush against Baron Morton, then Donovan Smith and then Tyler Show of Texas Tech. And what do you know? They came up with five interceptions which more than doubles their season total. It's a marriage. It all works together that if you get a pass rush, you get quarterbacks doing what they don't want to do, and it usually leads to an issue, and that's exactly what happened Saturday night in Lubbock.
0: Well, I I think there are a couple of things uh, that at least stood out to me is that, um, I, again, I always thought, that this collection of of talent defensively was going to get them up and over the top but i i guess i expected them almost in a way that uh they were going to do things like force more turnovers because like coming into the game did they only have like four interceptions coming into the game saturday That's correct which That's is correct. W- which yeah. is wild I, I just thought that uh, at times knowing how good they are up front that and I know they had to replace a lot on the back end, but that would force teams into making in a little bit more mistakes. It's just like these little bits and pieces hadn't come all the way together yet for this team.
1: Well, yeah, and again, it goes back to where I, the reason why this team had so many preseason accolades to it. I mean, I was among the group that picked him to win the conference this year. And the reason why was because the majority of their fronts were, were back. Well, basically, the entire defensive line was back. I mean, they played about eight on that front anyway. And just about all those guys were coming back this year. And then you look at the offensive line where four of their five guys were coming back on that side. They they didn't have Khalil Keith for pretty much all the season. He was dealing with a knee injury, and he got played a little bit against Kansas, and then he started against Tech. So now they've got, and if that front's performance – Against the Red Raiders is what we think we can see moving forward, like a light turning on or whatever you want to call it. Then I think that makes a big difference for them, and they can absolutely look at this four-game stretch as challenging as it is. Because after OU, then they get Kansas State and TCU at home back to back to wrap up the home schedule. Then they go to Austin the day after Thanksgiving. That it's possible for them to run the table. It's not that, or they can go 0-4. That's how wide open and how balanced this is for them. But again, it's sitting right in their hands. They control their destiny.
0: Uh, Richard Reese, as well, once again, looked like a guy that um, man is just a complete difference maker. So you give him the ball thirty six wow. times, almost one hundred and fifty yards, and three touchdowns. And this is even with right. what only only really two running backs that are left for them. They physically <laughs> they they physically dominated Tech uh, behind Reese.
1: You know, the thing about Richard that's so fun to watch with him this year is the fact that he's a true freshman. He got there in uh, June, which was when the first summer session begins for Baylor, like around June 4th or something like that. And the fact that he's come in and taken the ball and run with it. And to your point about the issues with their offense, I mean, when you and I were talking right before Oklahoma State, they had just lost uh, Tay McWilliams, their top running back, to a concussion. He still isn't back, although there is some hope that he could play this weekend in norman and then they haven't had squirrel williams their scat back uh, available for the last couple of weeks because of a concussion that he suffered at west virginia so yeah they are kind of running it a little thin back there but the fact that reese has kind of taken this by the horns if you will to to become this primary ball carrier he has like what i think it's like nearly 70 carries in the last two games i think he had like 33 against kansas the week before and he had about 186 yards in that game. So he's shown that he can do it. And he made a comment after the game uh, in uh, Lubbock that he wanted more of it. Now, that's always from a running back that, who gets into a rhythm. I think we all can appreciate when running backs get into rhythm, keep feeding them the ball because they're always going to find a way to get you four or five or, or six and that's exactly what he did on Saturday night.
0: Well, and as you wrote, too, because you were talking about some of your keys to the game, this isn't just a one-off for them. This is a couple of weeks in a row now that we've seen where this running game has has at least performed uh, uh, above what the standard had been so far this season.
1: Sure, yeah. The, the thing again, they've been running the ball far more effectively for the last three weeks than they have been the first half of the season. It kind of, you know, they kind of hit that. Once they hit the bye after Oklahoma State, or they were still having issues there. They seem to have found something. So even while they lost at West Virginia, they had they had found some things in the running game to get that going, which was important. And again, it led the way uh, in the win at Kansas. Although they kind of played screwy in the second half and found a way to hang on. But but yeah. But again, the way that they played in Lubbock was such a complete performance. Their be- easily their best performance of the year, which is something that they've been ho- hoping to try and get together. And and again. It doesn't matter how you look for the first two months, even though, and if you can stay in contention before you hit the stretch, which is this month, then you give yourself the chance, and here they are sitting right in the middle of this race.
0: The, I, I marvel at this stat. It was on uh, Sikkim Sports on Twitter that, that you guys have there through your rivals page. So you mean to tell me the last time that Baylor won in Lubbock, the Southwest Conference existed September 29th, 19 That's wild.
1: That's crazy. I know. Well, now there was a series between the games uh, where they played 10, I think it was between 2009 and 2018, where the series shifted to Dallas-Fort Worth. They played one game in the Cotton Bowl, and then the rest at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. But even so, I mean, you're looking at five trips there. Maybe they would have picked one of, picked one of those off there. Because I think Baylor went like six and four in that in that stretch of ten games. But yeah, going back to 1990, yeah, the conference didn't dissolve <laughs> until 1995. And if you were a big Wilson Phillips fan back then, uh, <laughs> and they had the number one song back then, and so um, it was. Uh, and I think one of the Wilson uh, Phillips sisters, I think she does the, plays the piano for those cotton ads on TV now, or something like that. And so, That's an and so, unbelievable but it, but, uh, stat. But, but you know, the thing is that, yeah, it, it's, it's a, the, the most impressive thing about that win in Lubbock was I thought it was going to be a game where they were going to have to maybe keep it within striking distance. Just because the way Tex offense had played yes. all season long and, and keep it. I, in fact, I wrote my previous that they got to keep this within two scores if they have a chance to probably win in the fourth quarter. They never trailed in it. They were wire to wire. They were 3-3 at one point, but then they got the two touchdowns late in the second quarter. To pull uh, to take a 17 to three lead, it was church after that. I mean, I know that Tech had made a run to cut it to 24-17, but even then, I just never felt like Baylor was in serious jeopardy of losing that game.
0: The uh, website is uh part of the Rivals Network. Kevin Lonquist is our guest. So Baylor has has been a victim of they've kind of been their own worst enemy in so many different elements this mm-hmm. season, and a lot of that too has kind of fallen on on shaping. Um mm-hmm. uh, from from his his play from where he's at right now, I, how would you surmise in, in Blake shape and trying to come out of what was a funk over the last couple of weeks with throwing multiple interceptions and actually being part of mm-hmm. that problem about them shooting themselves in the foot?
1: Yeah, I, obviously when you turn the football over as much as Baylor had done in the last three games, and deservedly they go one and two in that, um, it, it's going to make an impact on your season. And Blake played his now he'll, they, they did have a fumble where he had a toss sweep to Richard Reese that tech recovered. They technically gave the fumble to Blake on that, which, you know, that's, that's just kind of a, a thing where you just have to go like, who left the, who's who had the ball last, that sort of thing. But having said all that, I thought that Blake really played well. I mean, knew where he wanted to go with the football, which was obviously uh priority number one, but he also was smart in picking his spots and when to run the football. And of course, you know, he took the shot at West Virginia where it, the West Virginia defender went high on him as he was sliding. And, the, and the, the great thing is that they didn't lose him for the Kansas game. That was the most important thing. But it, it's still one of those things where if your quarterback plays well, doesn't turn it over, you're usually in a position to win football games. And that's the kind of guy that Blake needs to be Saturday afternoon in Norman. If, he's turn, if he has a couple of interceptions, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because he would be stopping whatever they are trying to put together. But I also think, too, because the way that OU has struggled to stop the run, even though they had a good day against Iowa State, but I think this running game for Baylor is a little bit different from Iowa State's just because it's more established. And the fact that you know, Baylor's offensive line, you know, OU knows these guys from last year, and they ran right over them like they did last year. And I think that's what's going to you – know, there could be some motivation for OU to say that wasn't us last year in Waco and the games in Norman and all that stuff. But I think it's going to be a question of I think Baylor is going to try and drive this down Oklahoma's throat and say, you didn't stop us last year and you've been struggling to stop people all this year. We're on a roll. Let's see what you can do with it this time on Saturday. That sort of thing.
0: What did uh, Aranda have to say in terms of uh, Oklahoma yesterday during his presser?
1: I thought that Dave, you know, same thing, you know, Dave has noticed that they've been playing a lot of complimentary football. And I, I guess that's the new, uh, the new lingo now. Right? With <laughs> yes, the it is. Complimentary football. <laughs> Three it's, phases like, and complimentary. It. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's not only, it's not even subject to, to college. It's all over the place. Um, but, you know, the, he talked about a little bit of the differences, of course, and how the offense looks. But, you know, the interesting thing, of course, is that they're going to see Jeff Levy again, and, and Jeff was the offensive coordinator for Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl last year. So, and of course, different personnel between what Jeff was running at Ole Miss to what he's running at OU. But I think obviously what you'll see is how much different the Oklahoma offense looks now that Dylan Gabriel is back, because and he's got the running ability. And Baylor has had some issues with that. You know, they had problems with uh, Spencer Sanders uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, a few weeks ago when they played Oklahoma State. And they weren't, you know, and, and the reason, and they got after Baron Morton a lot better in Lubbock last week. I thought they were, you know, they didn't have to do too much with J.T. Daniels because he's a he's a pocket passer, and, and the same thing with with uh, uh, Jason Bean over at Kansas. And so, I think this is going to be a question of how they want to respond or how they're going to respond to this, and what they're what they're going to account for in terms of Gabriel's legs, because that's going to be a factor versus what they've seen pretty much in the last couple
0: of weeks you know baylor's kind of the prime example as you talked about when this final four game this stretch with oklahoma kansas state tcu and texas i mean we've talked about whether the league is good from top to bottom we sure as hell know that it's competitive but baylor's kind of Mm -hmm. sitting here right in the in the middle of this this has been one of the wilder races for a conference that i can remember where it's still i know tcu's sitting there right now and hey, they've only they've done something I think only two other teams in history have done in knocking off the number of ranked teams that they have. And they're the clear favorites. But as far as number two is concerned, I have absolutely no idea right now how any of this is going to turn out.
1: You know, I looked at this, and it's almost like TC was pretty much practically into the championship game. I mean, they've, they've built so much equity because of the wins over Oklahoma State and Kansas State. I mean, that in some respects, their season reminds me of what Baylor's season looked like last year because Baylor had all the tough games at home with Texas and OU and that sort of thing. And then TCU gets the same thing with K-State and Oklahoma State. I, I think, you know, while Texas and Baylor basically have the same schedule, I look at – by the way, I think that Kansas State, Texas this weekend could be in an elimination game. Or Kansas State's either going to get – one of the two things is going to happen to Kansas State because it's back-to-back with Texas, and then and they come down to Waco the week after. So Kansas State's either going to – you know, put a, str- a stranglehold on this thing in terms of being the, the other team in the championship game, or it's going to fall right out of it. That's how fast I think the, the Wildcats fortune, fortunes are going to be. But getting back to Baylor and Texas, they're in a position right now where they control their destiny because they play the same teams. They both play TCU. They both play Kansas State. They play each other, like I mentioned earlier, the day after Thanksgiving. So it's right there in front of their hands to determine you know where their seasons are going to go. And then I think, as far as Oklahoma State is concerned, they're the ones that ha- that need a lot of help because you look at them as one game behind Kansas State. Well, they're they're really two because they've got because they lose the head-to-head tiebreaker. And by the way, if we all thought 48 to nothing was going to happen on Saturday in Manhattan, I mean, <laughs> that that absolutely blew me away. I'm still stunned over that result. I, yeah, um, I
0: think a lot of people in the state still are. <laughs>
1: Um, But then, but, you know, the only thing for TCU is that, and of course the history of Sonny Dykes when he's been coaching is that his teams primarily at SMU have had pretty bad Septembers or excuse me, Novembers. So the question is going to be is, is this a different animal with TCU versus SMU or is this a track record thing? Because I think Sonny had maybe some issues like that at law tech and Cal. So those, that would be maybe a subplot to watch with, with the Horned Frogs. I don't think it's going to happen against tech this coming Saturday, but then again, I thought Kansas State, Oklahoma State was going to come down to the wire. Look how that turned out.
0: There's, uh, man, there's so much good that's happening right now in the conference with as uh, wide open as it is in the uh, final month of this is going to be so much fun. Uh, and uh, we're mm-hmm. back at it again coming up on Saturday. Kevin, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for taking a few moments to come on with us here in uh, Oklahoma to give us a little bit of a uh, extra look here at Baylor. Uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time, man.
1: Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, That's uh, Kevin Longquist who's joining us here, part of the Rivals Network from Sikkim Sports, SikkimSports.com here on the Blitz 1170. All right, Uh, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, uh, we'll take another look at some of the trades that are happening in the NFL today, and it has been a wild day. Typically when the NFL trade deadline would creep up, you look around, you have like maybe one deal. But man, the last couple of years... It has just been the wild west when it comes to the NFL trading deadline. Seriously, it was a jo- the NFL trade deadline was a joke for so many years because nothing ever happened. Like, ah, here comes the trade deadline today." It's so bad ESPN didn't even have a countdown clock for crying out loud. And now, boy, that has changed. All right, timeout 224 here on the Blitz 1170. We'll come back with more next.